Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Here's where I want to go today, though. We're in part two of this series called Tough as Nails. And I just want to ask this question. When you think of the term Christian, what do you think? Like, and it's all over the map, depending on how you grew up, depending on your a church or religious background. But when you hear the term Christian, what do you think immediately? And for some of us, it's a really emotional response. I, actually, I think this is actually the better question, though. What should you think when you hear the term Christian? And many of you are joining us and you're not sure what you believe or you lost faith a long time ago and what you associate with that word is not very good and I'm so glad that you're with us today. So this is a really good question for you, but not not what should you think, but what do you actually think when you hear the term Christian? Like maybe your neighbor moved in and they say something about Jesus and you think they're a Christian or your sister's dating a Christian or you work for your boss and he said a few things at certain times where like you think he's a Christian. So what is, what is the idea that you have that comes to mind? What are the words associated with that term? Now, here's the thing for a lot of us, regardless of our background, what generally is not associated with that term in culture is this word right here, fearless. That most of the time when people hear the word Christian, they think about a lot of things, but they don't think about that. And yet, as we've started to look at in this series, when you look at our founder or our leader, if you're a follower of Jesus, he was the most fearless person on the planet. He walked into Jerusalem without batting an eye, knowing exactly what awaited him, and he went anyway. And over and over again throughout the New Testament and throughout the life and the words of Jesus, he says to us, my paraphrase, listen, uncertainty for all of us is unavoidable. In fact, even the feelings of fear are unavoidable. Like we're walking through some stuff right now that there's moments where fear hits you, uncertainty hits you, and you can't really escape that and it's out of your control. But here's what Jesus also taught, that living in fear is optional. And what is crazy about it is Jesus' first century followers, after initially being scared out of their mind, eventually they got this and they were the most fearless people on planet earth. They were the most fearless people in any village, in any town. They lived bold. They lived not even afraid of death. They didn't fear the economy. They didn't fear sickness. They just didn't fear. And it wasn't that they were superheroes. It was something happened, them recognizing that Jesus had defeated death that changed everything for them. And literally people would step back and they would look at them, even if they disagreed to go, there is something different about these people. They don't even fear loss. And here's the thing, when you don't fear loss, suddenly you are incredibly selfless. When you don't fear loss, you're incredibly generous. When you don't feel loss, no longer do you live self-preserving. And they were selfless. They did not fear loss. And listen, they were confident, not arrogant, but they were confident in whom they followed in the fact that they had nothing to fear. And the greatest questions and the greatest 
areas of uncertainty of their life had been settled because of who they followed. And so here's the bottom line of where I wanna go. Christian just basically means Christ follower or Jesus follower, which means if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, you should look like Jesus. And when you look all throughout the New Testament, the thing that you discover is that Jesus was not fragile and his movement was not fragile. And Jesus' followers in the first century were not fragile because they understood who they followed and they understood that there was nothing to fear. Jesus was bold, Jesus was fearless, Jesus was braver than hell, he literally was tougher than nails and he invites every single one of his followers, say, I want you to follow me. So here's kind of my question for us. And I'll just admit, this is gonna be a little bit in your face. And I'm gonna look at some words that Paul wrote that are a little bit in your face. And so you just gotta stay with me all the way to the end. But I think this is my question for me and for us. What happened to us? Like for real, when you look at that, when you survey how our movement started and what it means to follow Jesus and what Jesus exemplified, what in the world happened to us? Because when you look at the first century, the thing that I think best identifies it um, is this word irresistible, that the Jesus movement and followers of Jesus were irresistible, that even people who disagreed with them, when they got close to them, it was hard to resist. There's something different about these people with the way they give, the way they're selfless, the way that they don't fear, the way that they walk into coliseums and they're not even afraid of death and they like people who are nothing like them exactly the way Jesus acted when he was on planet earth. And listen, when you look at first century followers of Jesus, here's what's really interesting. They didn't know the end of the story. Like in the first century, there's a small band of Jesus followers. They don't even have a completed Bible. They have no idea how far the movement is gonna go. Is it even going to survive the first century? They have no idea that 2,000 years later, a third of the world is gonna claim Jesus as Messiah, that this little, this, this guy out of a little town of Nazareth, his message, his life is gonna dominate the globe. They just know that they, they serve a savior that walked out of the grave alive. They have a few scraps of letters that were written and they know nothing else other than we just need to have faith because we know that our savior defeated death, but they had no idea where it would lead. They had no idea where it would go. They had no idea if it would survive. And basically they were asking this question in the first century. Is it worth it? Is it gonna work? Is it worth it? Meaning when we lose our job, when we don't know about our life, when we fear because of sickness that's overrunning villages, when we are so marginalized in society, like there's these questions at certain moments. Is it worth being faithful? Is it worth continuing on in this? Is it even working? Is it even gonna survive? And Jesus' followers in the first century began to ask some of those questions. And Paul, um, we don't know for sure if it was Paul, but I think probably Paul, I'll just say he. But Paul wrote this letter in Hebrews writing to this group of people to go, listen, you just need to hang on. You just need to maintain faith. You need to not give up because I'm just telling you, it's worth it. And God is doing something. 
And here's what he writes, and maybe you're familiar with some of these verses. In Hebrews chapter 11, he, he starts with this. In this first verse, I think is maybe the most misinterpreted verse in all of the scripture. And many of you grew up in a religious environment that completely ripped this out of context. And so I wanna correct some of that, um, which sounds arrogant, but you'll see that I'm right in a second. In Hebrews 11:1, here's what he writes. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance in what we do not see. And he's setting up where we're going, but basically this is just the basic definition of faith and not even religious faith. Every single individual has faith. This is just what faith is. And and here's how I would relate it to you. If you've ever started a job where you're working for somebody who's not shady, that's another story. But if you've ever started a job, your first two weeks on the job, you worked by faith. Basically in that job, you had confidence in what you hoped for, which is you were gonna get a paycheck and you continue to work assured that your employer was gonna come through. That's all faith is. It is, hey, I have confidence in what I am hoping for, and I have assurance that I believe that they are going to fulfill their promise. And then the writer of Hebrews keeps going, and this is the verse that never gets any airplay. This is what allows people to rip it out of context. He says this in verse two. And this is what the ancients were commended for. And what he does, and you can read the verses for yourself, the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about this long list of Old Testament characters from Moses to Abraham to Jacob to Isaac. And he talks about the fact that every single one of these people, they received a promise from God and they continued to live by faith, believing that God was going to fulfill that promise. And that's all faith is. It is not if I muster up enough faith, then God's gonna do it or God's gonna take it away or God's gonna change my circumstance. That's magic. You don't see that in the New Testament. Faith is God's made a promise and I'm gonna continue to trust God to fulfill that promise even when I am not seeing it. And so the writer of Hebrews says, that's what faith is. And in verse 13, to skip down all of these people, all those Old Testament saints were living by faith when they died, meaning they died and never got a paycheck. They died and never saw the fulfillment of the promise. They died and never saw to fruition what they were hoping for. And he says, they all died living by faith, trusting anyway, even though it hadn't happened yet. And he said, they did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And here's the thing, God early on made a promise to a guy by the name of Abraham to say, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make out of your family a great nation that's gonna bless the entire world. A kingdom is gonna come out of that, that, and out of that kingdom is gonna come a Messiah, and that Messiah is gonna be the rescuer and savior of the world. And yet Abraham lived and he never saw the fulfillment of that promise. And Jacob lived and never saw the fulfillment of that promise. Isaac lived, never saw it. Over and over again, saints came and went and died and never saw the fulfillment of that promise, but they trusted anyway, they believed anyway, they walked by faith anyway, believing God's going to come through and God's going to fulfill his promise. And come on, that is so convicting. Because for most of us, we pray for something on Tuesday and we don't believe in God by Friday if it's not answered. Right, it's like, God, help me to whatever went by Friday. You're like, I don't even know if there is a God. I don't even know if I can believe in God or stuff starts to hit the fan. You're like, I don't know if God's good. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God is even active or present in my life. And here are all of these men and women. They live for generations believing a promise they never saw fulfilled and yet they trusted anyway. 
And the writer keeps going on in verse 36, and some, they face jeers and flogging, which is just something that we attribute to a movie that we don't really understand the weight of it. If it were to be accurately described, it would probably make you sick to your stomach. And they endured chains and imprisonment, and they were put to death by stoning, and they were sawed in two, and they were killed by the sword. Like, to quote Matt Chandler, this is the part of the the Christian movement that a lot of times we don't want to talk about, which is doing it a disservice. Like, in essence, the invitation here is, hey, follow Jesus, it might end badly. The the, the invitation is not, hey, if you just have enough faith, everything's going to be great and you're never going to suffer. Because there's a lot of people in this passage, they shut the mouths of lions, they saw miracles happen, but there's others that got sawed in two. And they believed and they had faith and they continued to trust anyway and they were killed by the sword and they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. And I think as as Paul is writing this or, or whoever the writer was, I think this is the moment where they stop and all of the emotion hits them. And they realize Moses who was insecure and almost didn't follow through marching into Pharaoh and facing down this enemy and this this world power at the time and rescuing God's people out and Moses' mom who didn't wanna see her little boy die and with faith puts him in a basket on the Nile River hoping that God's gonna come through, hoping that there's gonna be a miracle, living by faith. Abraham who gets this invitation to, hey Abraham, I want you to leave everything, I want you to leave your wealth and comfort, I want you to go somewhere, I'm not gonna tell you where, just pack your bags and go. And I think this is a moment where Paul, as he's thinking back to all of these people, the emotion hits to think, what if they hadn't been faithful? What if they hadn't trusted? What if Abraham hadn't gone? What if Moses hadn't taken that baton, even with all of the insecurity and all the ways that he failed? What if they had not followed through? And here I am with all the stuff that I'm dealing with in my life, but as I look at all of those who have come before me, all of those who were faithful, even when they didn't see the full fulfillment of the promise, what if they had stopped short? And then he says these powerful words that of those people that have come before us, the world was not worthy of them. The world wasn't worthy of them. In essence, this is what he's saying, I think is he's he's pinning these words and it all floods his mind. There was once a version of Christianity that elicited heroic living. There was once a version of Christianity amidst unbelievable uncertainty, incredible persecution, incredible poverty, not knowing what was gonna happen next, living and serving and acting faithfully even when the promise is not coming to fruition. But there was once a version of Christianity that elicited heroic living where people would come to the edges of these villages and communities and they would look on at these Jesus followers and they didn't understand everything that they did. They didn't understand everything that they taught. Some of it was weird. They didn't quite compute it all. Man, but there was something about how they lived. There was something about how they faced face down uncertainty. There was something about their fearlessness that captured their imagination. And literally the New Testament says they were all inspiring 
And this little band of followers with no leverage and no political influence and no money, nothing to their name began to grow multiculturally, multi-ethnically, Jew, Greek, man, women, black, white. Everybody was welcomed in because there was something about them that other people would take notice even if they disagreed with them to go, who are these people? They live and they act differently where seemingly they have no reason to. And in verse 39, they were all, all these people, all these heroic individuals and saints were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. And then verse 40, pay attention, because this is where he starts to talk to us. This is, he's writing to first century Jesus followers and all those who would come behind. Verse 40, but since God, talking about us, had planned something better for us, meaning God was up to something that was bigger than just their generation. God was up to something that was bigger than just their life and their ability to connect all the dots. God was up to something that would be multi-generational, that would be timeless, that would ultimately introduce something to the entire world that would include us, and God was gonna fulfill his promise through them and through us in a way that would change the world, but they had no idea. It was so much bigger than them. And he says in verse 40 that God planned something better for us so that only together with us in every generation would they be made perfect. Meaning God's plan was perfected. God's plan was completed through them and through us. God was going to and did fulfill every promise. Now think about this for a second. They were looking forward and they were faithful. They were looking forward and they had no idea how it was gonna turn, around, turn out. They had no idea fully what was up ahead. They had no idea how it was gonna look. They had no idea if God was going to fulfill it in their generation. But they looked ahead, hoping, believing, expecting that God was gonna do what God said he would do. And they looked forward and they were faithful. Let me just be straight with you. So many of us, we're in a place right now where we can look backward and we are so fearful. God has already fulfilled his promise. They were waiting for Messiah to come whose name ultimately would be Jesus and he was gonna die on a cross and he was gonna walk out of a grave alive to validate everything that the prophets had pointed toward and he was gonna offer forgiveness and life and salvation to the world that meant eventually death would be defeated and disease would be defeated and heaven would be a reality and God did everything that he said he was gonna do. And here we are on the other side of a resurrection, the promise has been already fulfilled and we are so fearful. They hoped we've already received. We have every reason to live fearless, to live generous, to not live self-preserving, to live with other people in mind because God has already done what God said he was gonna do. There is no reason to fear. Jesus rose, he launched this little band of followers that has grown all over the world. We have every reason in the world to walk and live by faith, even in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty. And so as he's writing this, he's like, okay, so what, what should we do? What do we, because because if Paul wrote this, Paul's in the category that we are, it's already happened. He can already look back to a fulfilled promise. Like, what do we do? How do we respond? Like, what do we do with that? 
And so he writes this, therefore, in light of all of these people that have gone before, in light of this fulfilled promise, in light of the fact that we serve a resurrected Jesus, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, like we stand on the shoulders of all of these people who paid an extraordinary price, all of the people from Abraham to Moses, but then into the New Testament, Peter, who gave up his life planting churches, Paul who ended up giving up his life and then fast forward to the second and third century and people who faced down death to translate the scriptures in a way that all of us would have access and they were not afraid of death. They gave up their life because they believed this and they wanted it to move forward. And he's going, we're surrounded by all of these people because of what Jesus did. They did not fear death. They were willing to give up their life. They've handed off the baton of faith. And now for us, 2000 years later, Here we are in the movement of Jesus is everywhere. So he's like, what do you do with that? Therefore, since we are surrounded by that kind of great cloud of witnesses, here's what we need to do. Let us hide, whine, complain, hoard our resources just in case, put our Bibles in a drawer, purchase ammunition, blame every elected official that you don't agree with, Blame the teachers, demand your rights, maybe we should build a wall, tax the rich, play it safe, find somebody to sue, take back our country and pray that Jesus returns so we don't have to suffer. Did I offend everybody because that was my goal? Did I get you in there? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how we sound to the great cloud of witnesses? Not that what you're walking through, what we're walking through is not legit and painful and hard, but come on. Can you imagine how we sound to those who have gone before in the midst of uncertainty and death and persecution? Heck, forget the great cloud of witnesses from the first century. Imagine how we sound to Christians in Syria right now. Christians in Iraq right now. Jesus followers in refugee camps right now. They don't know where their little daughters are. And they pray by cots every night, God, come through. God, we're praying for your favor. God, we're praying for your protection. And we are believing anyway, and we are trusting anyway. Can you imagine what they would think as they hear some of our prayers? We're freaking out because our 401k has been diminished or some area of our life is not quite as comfortable as it was before. Can you imagine? I think Paul would show up to go, do you even know the price that was paid to get here? Do you know why we're here or how we're here and who paved the way for that to happen? And all of it is legitimate, but come on, you don't have to live freaking out in fear, trying to control everything, hiding, self-preserving, self-protecting. Come on, you have every reason to step out and be bold and fearless because of whom you follow and because you stand on the shoulders of a great cloud of witnesses who sacrificed everything. And here you are. And then he says, so with all that in mind, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here's what he says when you are so uncertain, when you're so fearful, when it's the end of the world and I don't know and we're outnumbered and everything is just, here's what you need to do. Let us throw off everything that hinders, everything that gets in the way. And the sin that so easily entangles us. His point is just this. Before you go freaking out, 
before you go worrying, before you go doomsday and woe is me and it's so difficult and every, before you go blaming, he's going, listen, you need to look in the mirror. We need to look in the mirror. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do any of this. You can just hear all this and go, no, I'm not gonna do that because you've never signed on the Jesus thing. But you, if you are a Jesus follower, he's going, listen, you need to look in the mirror before you do any of that. Come on, what's holding you back? Why are you not all in? Why are we not all in? Why are, why are you so moved by your circumstances and your feelings to where you so easily give up faith? Like what's holding you back? What are you afraid of, really? Why are you so fearful? Come on, the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. The more uncertain it gets, the more the light of faith and the certainty of faith shines bright in that kind of culture. He's like, come on, what's holding you back? Why are you not all in? What's, what's keeping you from being in that place to go, Jesus, I'm following you with all of my heart. And then he says this, therefore, since we are such, uh, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders, the sin that's so easily entangled, and let us, I love this, let us run with perseverance. Don't give up. Don't stop short. Don't grow weary. Don't get to this place. Is it working? Is it worth it? And you just decide it's not worth it any longer. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, for our generation. Like, let me just talk to, I know there's people outside of our country right now who are listening. This. Let me just talk to American Christians for a second. Like, you've been given a race to run in your generation. God's not surprised about where you are, about where you live, about where you work, about the fact that you don't work right now, about the fact that all of this stuff is going on around you that is out of your control. You have been given a race in your generation. We have been given something to do, a role to play, a difference to make in our generation, in our culture, in our world. Hey, CC, we have been given a race to run and a role to play in our city, our community, and beyond. And the question is, will we run it well? The question is, will we persevere or will we fall into this? It sucks, it's terrible. I don't even know if God's good anymore. How could God allow this? Woe is me, we need to take back our country, blame shift. All, or will we decide I am gonna run the race that God has placed before me in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of so much maybe unfaithfulness around me because God has called us to shine a light in darkness. And the question is, are you gonna run that race? The question is, are you gonna continue to persevere or are you gonna shrink back the moment it is uncertain or the moment there is something to fear? And then he says this, verse two, fixing, and it all comes down to this, fixing our eyes on. Just pause for a second. And if you grew up in church, you know exactly what goes there. But this is the problem. Because for a lot of us, we fixed our eyes on everything else. We fixed our eyes on comfort. We fixed our eyes on safety. We fixed our eyes on security. We fixed our eyes on blame and on politics and woe is me. And we fixed our eyes on fear. And we fixed our eyes on everything but what our eyes should be fixed on. Forgetting that we served a savior that walked down Main Street in Jerusalem knowing exactly what he would face. And he went anyway and he says to us, follow me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Like, just think about that for a second. 
that put aside like your cliche ideas that for a month we got up and went, okay, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do in the midst of this uncertainty? How would Jesus respond to this? How would Jesus respond to them? How would Jesus interact with this individual that I do not understand, who does not agree with me politically, puts crazy stuff on Facebook, but I am a follower of Jesus. What if we all did that for a month? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus say? What if we lived like that? What if we gave like that? What if we interacted with our neighbors in that way? What would happen to this movement? Can you imagine just for a month? And here's the reality. We already know what would happen. There was once a group of people with no leverage, no influence, nothing in culture, no money, no political platform, but they decided to follow the example of Jesus in more uncertainty than we can ever imagine. And it changed the world. And so he says to us, listen, you have your fix, your eyes fixed on everything else, but what it needs to be fixed on in this moment. And I know it's hard, Jesus would say, I get that the world is scary and messed up. I'm not making a case against that. This is not what I designed. This is a sin infested world and I came to rescue the world from that. And one day I'm gonna put it back together. But in the meantime, I've been really straight. In this world, you are going to have problems. Take heart, here's my promise. I've overcome the world and I will be with you. Not that you're not gonna suffer, but when you do, I'm gonna be with you every step of the way and that you can have faith and you can have confidence and you can have assurance that I'm gonna do everything that I said I was gonna do because you live on the other side of a resurrection and you serve a resurrected savior. So fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, literally the leader and the founder and the perfecter, meaning he perfected and fulfilled every one of his promises. And he's pointed to the fact that those promises that still lay ahead, he's gonna fulfill those too. And then as if he hasn't like gotten in our face enough, he writes this, for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross. And we talked about that. It can become so mundane, so ornamental, so like we're just inoculated to it. But this is where it's so powerful that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he's just twisting the knife for us to go, hey, just remember, remember what I did. And listen, the problem with crucifixion was not just the pain, it was the shame. And Jesus knew it all. He grew up watching rotting bodies on Roman crosses. I can't overstate this enough. He smelled the smells, he saw the sights. He experienced everything that went happen. There was nothing that he had to use his imagination for. He knew exactly what was gonna take place and he saw it coming. He did not flinch. He did not allow shame or fear to hold him back. And he went to the cross anyway and he endured it anyway. And he says to every single one of us, I'm the founder, I'm the author, I'm the perfecter of this movement. Just recognize what has gone on before you, follow me. And then after he did that, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, illustrating it's finished. I did it, I accomplished it. And I accomplished it for you. And so verse three, so powerful. So consider him, consider Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. Who endured such opposition for sinners, which is all of you and all of us. So that, this is the point, this is his bottom line. This is what he wants to leave us with. So that you will not grow weary. I will not grow weary. 
and lose heart. In those moments where the marriage is failing, the hours have been cut back, you lost the job, the dream is not gonna be fulfilled, this is not where you wanted to be at 37, expectations have not met your reality and you're starting to tempt and be tempted to ask those questions. Is it worth it? Is it working? Is it worth it? Is it working? The author of Hebrews says, there is enough that has gone on before you that those questions have already been answered. It is worth it and it is working. Do not grow weary and lose heart just because it's uncertain. So let me talk to a couple of you real quick and I'm gonna be done. And I, I was unsure how to gauge like these age brackets, but I, I think this is somewhat accurate. If you're 35 and over, let me just talk to you for a second. Those of you who are 35 and over for a lot of you, maybe more so in this season than ever before, but for a lot of you, you have grown weary and you've lost heart. And part of the reason that you have grown weary and lost heart is because you have fixed your eyes. And I'm just, I'm gonna talk specifically to American Christians for a second because you have fixed your eyes on all the wrong things. You have fixed your eyes on political systems and you've fixed your eyes on political leaders and you've fixed your eyes on fear and self-preservation and the economy and the good old days, whatever that means. And woe is me and we've lost everything and we gotta take back and on and on it goes. And I just wanna encourage you in love, knock it off. Knock it off for this reason. You are setting the pace for a coming generation. And we have a bunch of Christians or Jesus followers who don't look a lot like Jesus filling up churches and communicating a message to the next generation that says, hey, you need to fix your eyes on your circumstances. You need to fix your eyes on your feelings. You need to fix your eyes on government. You need to fix your eyes on religious freedom. And oh, we've lost this. And I don't know what's gonna happen. It's all hit the fan. It's all lost and there's no hope. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because listen, government matters. Policy matters. The economy matters. It doesn't matter nearly as much as this word right here, faith that God can be trusted and he will fulfill every promise that he has laid onto the table and his plans will not be thwarted. And you see this all throughout the scripture, Jesus before Pilate, Pilate's like, what is truth? Ultimately, he takes Jesus to be crucified and betrayed and to have his life given up. And Pilate in that moment is one of the most powerful leaders in the world. And now 2000 years later, the only reason you know the name Pilate is because it is a footnote to the story of Jesus. Jesus will fulfill and accomplish everything that he said he was gonna do. And there's a lot of important things in the world. There is nothing more important than faith. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus more than you fix your eyes on anything else. And listen, I say this in love. Most of you don't know any history because your woe is me, the world is ending, everything is against us, we're in the minority, and you have no idea that the Jesus movement was birthed out of incredible opposition and uncertainty. We have an extraordinary time in our life to do something for the cause of Christ, not by leveraging politics, but by leveraging our faith and fixing our eyes on Jesus. And if the church would do that, it would change our city. If the church did that, it would change our world no matter what happened around us. And let me talk to you that are 35 and under. 
And there's many that are watching right now, many in your 20s that are tuning in, that are a part of our church family now, now around the country and, and also locally. I just wanna say this to you. Don't grow weary and don't lose heart. And in some circumstances, don't take your cue from us. Don't fix your eyes on social media. Don't fix your eyes on Washington. Don't fix your eyes on all your circumstances and what you feel. And listen, let's anchor our faith deeper. Let's be the generation that is not moved with every changing circumstances and everything we feel. And the first time we have to suffer, we start to wonder, is God good? Does God love us? Let's grow our faith up. Listen, you're gonna suffer, God is good. You're gonna suffer, Jesus loves you. There's gonna be moments where you're gonna walk through what feels like hell, Jesus is with you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's stop being tethered to an imaginary God that you do not find in the scripture, that good God equals no suffering. No, no, Jesus promised you are going to suffer. You are gonna walk through uncertainty. In fact, my movement is going to have the most extraordinary impact in the midst of the most persecution and the most uncertainty. So follow me, take your cue from me, respond the way that I responded. And listen, one day I'm gonna put an end to it all, but in the parentheses, I want you to follow me and trust me anyway. I want you to believe in my love anyway. I want you to have faith in my goodness anyway. You're gonna suffer, your God is good. Follow him and fix your eyes on Jesus. And let's be a church and let's be a generation that grows up our faith to where we actually follow Jesus and we cling to every single promise that he has made us. And then if that weren't enough, this is the fine, he, he gives us this final right hook the final like twist the knife. <laughs> and he says this, besides, with all that being said, in your struggle against sin and the junk that you're experiencing in the world around you, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Very few of you, probably none of you watching right now will ever get to that point. And lovingly, our savior says, the writer of Hebrews says, seriously? Are you kidding me right now? I know what you're walking through is a big deal, but you have every reason to be fearless, to be selfless, to be confident, to say, hey, right now, my family through this season, we're gonna reach out to people more than ever before. In the midst of uncertainty, we're gonna give financially like never before. In the midst of not knowing what's gonna happen two months and three months from now, man, we're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus like never before. We're gonna grow in our faith during this season, knowing that God is working. God is moving. And come on, can you imagine as I get ready? And can you imagine maybe a church like ours or a generation of Christians where it was said of them, the world was not worthy of them. And it has nothing to do with what's happening globally. It has nothing to do with who is in the White House. It has nothing to do with your political or government system. It has nothing to do with the economy. It has nothing to do with how you feel the church is marginalized in society. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It has everything to do with walking by faith and fixing your eyes on Jesus. And in the first century against unbelievable hostility, it toppled the Roman empire because faith, is more powerful than anything. And we have a race to run. I just wanna encourage you, CC. We have a race to run. 
we have a role to play in our city and our generation for God maybe to do something that is beyond what we can even imagine in this moment. And it's up to us whether we will run that race well and whether we will fix our eyes on Jesus. And what I love about the first century followers of Jesus that we need to recapture is they were all over the map. They captured the imagination of people around them and they were rich and poor. They were slave and free. They were black and white. They were women and children. They were Democrat and Republican. They were independent. We didn't know where they stood, but above everything else, something that they got that we are beginning to lose is they were branded by this one thing, Jesus follower. Come on, we have every reason to try to live lives to where maybe it could be said of us, the world was not worthy of them. Would you just pray with me wherever you're at right now? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And as we get ready to close, I just wanna encourage every CC here before I pray to take a next step. And we are not interested in just holding gatherings in buildings when we return to that or, or having people watch in living rooms by the thousands all over the country. We wanna help people take next steps. And one of the greatest ways that you can do that is to get into community. Like you need to be talking about this stuff with other people and right now we have Zoom community groups that are meeting all over the place. And we need many of you to step up and to be a part of that. Like you need to commit in this season, I'm gonna grow my faith and I'm gonna run my race well. And you sitting in front of a TV is not gonna do that by itself. And so I just wanna encourage you for some of you, God is calling you to step up and go, I wanna lead other people in this. And I wanna lead community with other individuals in my city and beyond. So we need you today to go to our website at centerpointfl.org to go, I'm stepping up, I'm signing up, I'm gonna begin to be a leader of other people. I'm gonna lead a group and I'm gonna allow God to use me. And then there are literally hundreds of you. You need to get into a group. And so I'm inviting you today, do not allow what God is doing to stop right here. Go to the website today, centerpointfl.org, hit the connect link and go, I'm gonna begin to get into a group. I'm gonna begin to take a step toward community and allow God to grow my faith in this season. So come on church. This is not a pause. We're not waiting for God to do something. God is already doing something. Let's step into what God wants to do in our faith. And then lastly, some of you have made decisions today to follow Jesus. I just wanna encourage you, text CC I have decided to 94000. CC I have decided wherever you're at, wherever you're watching to 94000. And for some of you, this may be the moment where you place your faith and trust in Jesus. So I just wanna lead you in that prayer and I wanna encourage you to text that number. If you're at the place to go, I want to follow Jesus, it begins with faith and trust in what Jesus has done. And you can pray this prayer after me. It's not the prayer that saves you, it's your declaration of faith and trust. But wherever you're at, pray with me right now in this moment. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that three days later you rose again. And right now I'm trusting you to forgive me and to save me. One more time, wherever you're at, it's not the prayer that saves you, it's your declaration of faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that three days later you rose again. And I'm inviting you to save me and to forgive me. And God, to be my savior. 
And the scripture says, when you call on the name of the Lord by faith and by trust, that immediately in that moment, you're saved, you're rescued, and nothing can ever undo that because it's based on God's promise, not your performance. So right now, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, I'd love for you to text that number. Jesus, I thank you for all of those who are engaging right now where the Holy Spirit is speaking and moving. And I understand this is so much easier to say and pray than it is to do. But I pray today that you would begin to ignite faith and confidence and boldness in those of us who are followers of Jesus and remind us of those who come before us. And I pray specifically for CC that we would begin to be a church that rises up and that you would do incredible things in the midst of our faith in uncertainty. And I pray for that for the church globally that this would be a moment of revival, not in spite of the uncertainty, but because of it. And so we're praying this and we're asking this in the powerful, in the saving and the sustaining name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.